I'd like us to open our Bibles together this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in a series of messages, verse by verse, through the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Actually, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount right now in a larger series that we're, we've been studying the life of Jesus chronologically. We started last December, last Christmas time. We're going all the way through the life of Jesus through the resurrection and his ascension. But right now we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount in a mini-series called Jesus Teaches About. And we're learning some very deep points that Jesus is making to his disciples and his hearers of this original message and we're hearing his points about how to live properly and maintain our Christian lives. And this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 37, we see this morning as, as I bring you a message that I have titled, The Importance of a Promise. There seems to be a misconception in our nation and in our culture as to what it is that Jesus wants from us. Some people will say that, oh, Jesus, just, Jesus wants me to pray occasionally. Or some people might say that Jesus wants me to, to just take the kids to church on Christmas and Easter. Maybe some people say that, that Jesus wants us, he just wants us to be kind to others. Some might say, oh, you know, Jesus just wants us, he wants us to prosper. And, and some people feel that if they live by the golden rule, that, that, that's really all Jesus wants from them out of their life. There are some in our culture that really feel that maybe if I live by this, uh, by this misguided idea of, of karma, you know, that idea of, of what goes around comes around. You know, some people say, if I just live giving out good karma, that's what Jesus wants from us. Probably the most misguided statement in all of our culture, and even some through Christianity, is, and you've heard this, it's the unbiblical notion that Jesus just wants me to be happy. It is one of the most troublesome statements in all of our culture because this, this idea that Jesus just wants me to be happy, what it does is it allows people to make excuses for their behavior based on their wills and their wants and their self-proclamation of, of their own direction. It gives people an opportunity to determine what their own happiness is and to tell themselves that Jesus is okay with whatever it is that we do to put ourselves in a position to make ourselves happy. It might be a shocker to some that the Bible never says that Jesus simply wants you to be happy. But rather, what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus is not after our happiness. Jesus is after our obedience. And see, there's some times in our life that we see, wow, there's a big difference between happiness and obedience. Sometimes, obedience is not going to lead to our happiness. One of the areas in our lives that we see this most prevalent is in our relationships, and especially in our marriages. 
I would think that I would be very rich. I think I'd be a millionaire if I were to hear and count up and, and have, a, have a nickel or a dollar for the amount of times that I've heard somebody use the excuse to leave a marriage because they say, I'm simply not happy. Jesus just wants me to be happy. You know, somebody who's been through that would say, you know, I, I know God just wants me to be happy. I'm not happy. It's this misguided direction that happens every single day when, when, when a wife may leave a husband in, this, in our culture or a husband leaves a wife due to selfishness and pride inside their, their marriage that is causing, that is causing some unhappiness but instead of turning to Christ, we turn to the worldly concept of happiness and comfort is our first priority. That's what the world will teach us, is that happiness and comfort is a first priority. And you have every right to chase and to achieve happiness and to find comfort. And when you find those two, you're okay because you're within this boundary that says you can do it. It's okay. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus does not give us an out in our marriage to satisfy our own happiness. He doesn't ask us to be happy. He asks us to be obedient. I want you to join me in John chapter 5 as we're continuing in this sermon series. We're in John 5. We're going to start in verse number 31 and see what Jesus is actually saying about our marriage and about our promise. Jesus starts off, and Matthew records for us in 531, he says this, You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. We're going to stop right there for just a quick second, because we have to find out exactly what this means in context, what Christ is saying here. He's referring to the rules of the law of those days that the Israelites and the, the Jews lived under. Back then... Divorce was very easy for a man. He could divorce his wife for any reason at any time. It wasn't easy for the woman. As a matter of fact, she had no rights. No rights at all. She had no say. He was actually, she was actually related more as, as property in this situation. She was more of, of, a, of a property of her father and of her husband. And she wasn't so much a companion or a partner. We find the scenario in the book of Deuteronomy, and we find what, what governed the rules of marriage and divorce at that time, chapter 24. Jesus was referring to this when, when he said just a moment ago, when he said, you have heard the law that says, this is where his point comes from. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says this, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him, having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from the house. That's it. That's all it took was for a man to find something in his wife that was not pleasing him. A certificate of divorce was actually a legal document that would have been handed to the wife back in the time of Moses. That's when, that's when this process started, and the certificate said it would have been initiated by the husband, but it now released the woman to be able to marry again. Without it, she could not marry again. 
And a woman who is not married has very few options for her livelihood. So there, was, there could be a situation where she is trapped. If she has been abandoned, her husband is abandoning and not providing for her, she can't go and marry. And it's not as if you had women's small business districts around to where she could really make a living. So it, it was a, there was a situation where women could be caught in the middle. And Jesus realizes that divorce is so rampant in his days, but he also knows this. It was never intended to be part of marriage. The Jews had some of the same issues that we have in our society, that their society actually took charge of marriage, and it actually tried to overpower the term marriage and put a legal definition as opposed to a godly definition. And society had taken charge of what God owns and what God had defined, and it tried to redefine marriage much like our culture has done. And since a man could legally divorce his wife for any reason, unfortunately, men, they did so on a regular basis. It was pretty common. According to this rule that we just read, all a man had to do was show that he was now not pleased, he was displeased with his wife to write up a letter of divorce. In fact, it would be legal for a man to divorce his wife if she handed him his meal and if she had put too much salt on his food. That's all it would take. He's not pleased, too much salt, sorry, you're out. I mean, it was, it was that type of a situation. And by the time Jesus comes into the picture, divorce had grown easier and easier and easier. So the situation had arisen that, that girls in their younger years, they don't really want to get married because it's, it's not a secure relationship at all. That, that there's a lot of question marks. They don't know what's going to happen. So many are not willing to get married. And Jesus recognizes what society has done to marriage. And in just a few words that he spoke, he looks to bring marriage back to its original definition. Isn't it amazing that Jesus doesn't have to talk a lot, that he can say just a few things and bring us all back? Even though the people of Jewish culture understood that legally they could give out the certificate of divorce, and they could walk away from a relationship with their spouse. There's still the voice of God in the back of their mind. And, and, and Jesus is, is repeating for them again what God has spoken. And God actually spoke in the book of Malachi. We're going to look at that in, in Malachi chapter 2, verse number 15. And, and we see God's prohibition against this. Malachi 2.15 says this, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you were like his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. That's pretty plain and simple language when the Bible's teaching us about our relationships. See, this is one of those areas that God does not turn into a gray area, right? He gives this very point-blank 
relationship directions for our lives. Jesus wasn't the only one during his time period to recognize that divorce had become such an epidemic, it had become such a problem in the Jewish culture that it was seeping through, through religion, it was seeping into society. Even the Pharisees recognized this, so much so that they came up to, to Jesus to test him. They wanted to see, okay, what is it that you have to say about this? Are you going to stick to the law of Moses? I want you to see what Jesus says. We're in Matthew chapter 19. It'll be up here on the screen. Verse number three, it starts. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I want you to see what he says next in verse number seven. And he, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Jesus says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That's a powerful statement that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and it's a powerful statement that he's using to bring people back to the original intention of marriage and the original rules of marriage. All the words that Jesus and his response to the Pharisees, they're so important to understand, and even in our culture, that biblical marriage is the main point of the relationship between a man and a woman that God has created. That leads us to point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us on the right-hand side of your bulletin, the left-hand side, rather, on the inside left-hand side, you're going to find some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those fill-in-the-blanks. They're going to be up here on the big screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning, a marriage is a God-ordained promise, promise that is not designed to be broken. A marriage is a God-ordained promise that is not designed to be broken. In verse number 8 of that last passage that we read, Jesus turns the entire society and their views of divorce upside down. He tells them that the laws of divorce that God did allow was only allowed because of the hardness of their hearts. God allowed some very, very small avenues of divorce because there were people in this world who needed to be protected. He did not allow divorce just because people wanted to, just because people wanted to pursue their happiness, because they wanted to pursue their comfort. He didn't allow divorce just because. He allowed it because some people just didn't get it. They just weren't getting this, this marriage responsibility that they had to their spouse. They refused to properly manage their relationships. And there were people getting hurt. 
Remember, we've been studying the rules that God has given us over the last few weeks. We've seen rules on anger, and we saw rules on murder. We saw rules on adultery, rules on lust. Now we're seeing rules on marriage and divorce. And the one thing we've noticed through this sermon series is that God's rules are there to protect us. Right? That's why we give rules to our children. Don't run in the street. Why? Because we want to protect them. That's why we give rules to our children. Don't run with scissors. Don't play with matches. Because we want to protect them. Can't we all be thankful that God has given us these rules to protect us? Isn't that amazing that even before we were conceived, even before we were thought of, God has already put rules in place to protect us in our relationships. When God created Adam and Eve, and He brought them together in this common bond, and He formed a marriage between one man and one woman for life, He did not place in the Garden of Eden a courthouse for Adam to go in and file divorce papers. He did not put in the Garden of Eden billboards with divorce lawyers plastering their face on big billboards. He didn't put a phone book with a lawyer on the very front cover of it. You know why? Because it was never intended as part of marriage. God says, and Jesus says, He says, people, you hardened your hearts, and so God allowed a, a small area for protection. He says, but it was never meant. It was never meant to be part of marriage. He didn't design this promise. He didn't design the promise of our marriage to ever be broken. As a covenant relationship, God created marriage after our relationship with Him. Right? You know, all throughout the Bible, and we've talked about this, we in the church are referred to as the bride of Christ, right? The Lord did not originally have any rules for divorce because marriage wasn't meant to ever be a mechanism to sep- for a man and a woman to be separated from each other. Just the same, God has not created an avenue in our relationship with Him where He is going to separate Himself from us. There is not a connection. There is not an avenue. There's not a a road. There is not a position where God is ever going to separate Himself from His children. He's not walking away from us. And if He modeled marriage after his relationship with us, he has modeled our marriages after a relationship that does not have a mechanism for separation. That was our relationship with God, right? I don't know if any of you have a father like mine. My dad, I'm going to tell this illustration this morning because he's not here. He'll be here in a couple of weeks, so I wouldn't tell it then, but he's, he's not here this morning. My father was the king of supplementing. I don't know. Some of you are going to relate to this. If my dad did not have the proper tool for the job, he would supplement a tool that would do the job, right? I don't know how many times a butter knife became a screwdriver in our house. 
when you were ever trying to change that, that little, and mainly it was, it was that, that cover over the, uh, the electrical outlets, right? Or, or maybe it was something, a butter knife will work here, so you just you use it as a screwdriver. There are so many tools that were used for a different purpose other than what they were meant for. My dad would supplement whatever he could find that would possibly get the job done. It might be a tool in the toolbox that wasn't meant to do this job, but eh, it'll, it'll do the job. It'll kind of get it done. But we would end up using a tool for something that it wasn't designed to do. And sometimes our marriages are put in situations where we're doing things, we're putting ourselves in areas in our relationships that they weren't meant for. The first step in finding the right tool is understanding what the tool is designed to do. The first step in our marriage is understanding exactly what marriage is for and understanding what comes with marriage. Maybe the first step in actually finding the right tool is understanding that the tool was designed. Maybe the first step in a godly marriage is understanding that marriage was designed. But see... Even more than that is understanding who designed marriage, right? Marriage was not simply a relationship that formed itself to satisfy the needs and to satisfy the legal necessity of man, but rather it was designed as a relationship from God our Father to bring glory to God through our lives in connection with other people. It is God's designed relationship for our lives. And the amazing thing about our Lord is that when he gives us a direction, he gives us rules and protections and paths for that direction. In the book of Genesis, God says this of the very first marriage that he ever created. He says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. See, God's intention for marriage was to form a relationship between one man and one woman for life. That's God's plan. That's God's definition of marriage. There are no alternatives to establish a godly marriage. This union that is created by God is designed to guide us and manage our families. Marriage is, is one man and one woman for life, but you think, what comes after the wedding day? There's children that come after the wedding day, right? So God's rules for marriage are also there not only to protect mom and dad, but to protect children as well, right? God's rules for marriage are there to teach children, right? It is designed so that a mother and a father can raise children in a godly household. It's designed so that a man and a woman can find that lifelong partner that God has created specifically for them. Marriage was designed to operate on a promise. And promises were meant to be kept. If you think of the promise that God has made to you, there is not one single promise that God has made to you that he has not kept. Amen? God keeps his promises. 
And if God keeps His promises, and if we are growing closer to Christ in our Christian walk, and if we are growing closer to Christ in our marriages, it is our responsibility to model our promise-keeping after God's promise-keeping. Right? If we see God is laying down a model for us, it's our job to follow His model. It's our model for relationships. There are some promises in our lives. I'll be honest with you, there are some promises in our lives that are actually short-term promises. There are. If you promise your kids that you're going to pick them up after school at 3 o'clock, you would assume that by 3.30, if you've picked up the children, that that promise, that, that promise has been kept, right? You set a promise, it has a timeline, it has been kept. If you promise that you're going to show up at, you know, when, when, when you get, I know, we've all got that speeding ticket, right? And the cop makes, that's a terrible example. And what does he do? He says, I want you to sign here. You're not admitting to guilt, but you're signing a promise to show up in court, right? And so you're going to show up in court, and you're going to see the judge, and you're going to pay the fine, and that promise has a time period, right? God's promises have no expiration date. God's promises, they don't expire. They, they, don't, they don't run out. But what God is telling us, he says, in your marriage, your marriage vow also has no expiration date. I didn't build this to expire. I created this to be a lifelong promise. Jesus goes on to give us the reason for his direction for our lives. Look what Jesus says. We're, in, um, we're back in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 32. He says, But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she is being unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? We talked about lust and adultery. But what Jesus is saying, he says, I want you to think past your own happiness. I want you to think past your own comfort, and I want you to think about what this is going to do to somebody else. And remember the last few weeks we've been talking about how our pursuit, your pursuit of happiness, how it not only affects somebody else, but it could affect, it has a ripple effect, right? We know how it affects kids. We know how it affects other members of the family. That's what Jesus is saying is, I want you to think. He says, in this situation, a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. It's a warning to men. In the society of the times, that when divorcing women was simply as easy as saying, you know what, I don't want to be with you anymore. What Jesus is saying, he says... This is a shame. It's shameful to God. Many times it would be perfectly okay for a man to divorce his wife because he's finding attraction in another woman. And now what's happening is he's saying, you know what, she, she isn't pleasing me anymore or she's pleasing me less than somebody else and it's absolutely okay. And what has happened is happiness and comfort have become the measurement of the relationship instead of obedience. And Jesus has said, he's saying, enough! 
That's not the way that it was created. His point is that there isn't a way, as marriage was intended, there is not a way that is built in for separation due to our own comfort and happiness. That leads us to point number two in your notes this morning. When we follow the biblical rules for marriage, we save ourselves from the heartache of destroyed relationships. When we follow the biblical rules for marriage, we save ourselves from the heartache of destroyed relationships. There are many biblical rules. There are many biblical rules in marriage that point us in a safe direction, like like men, honor your wives. Like husbands, love your wives like you love your own bodies. There's rules like refrain from any kind of sexual activity outside or before a God-ordained marriage. There's rules like don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? We see rules all over the Bible that are giving us instructions on how to manage a godly marriage. These rules in the relationship were meant to keep us safe. We were told not to start relationships, Christians especially. One of the rules, one of the, one of the directions that the Lord gives us, way before we walk to the altar, the Lord gives us, and we're told not to be unequally yoked, right? Unequally yoked, it's, a, it's an agriculture term when you would have a couple of oxen and the oak was the, was the big wood piece that would go around their, their, their necks. So when they, were to pull, when they were to pull the plow, you had two animals that were of the same size and the same species that were, that were pulling. It would be very difficult if you were to have an ox that was in a yoke here and over here you had a kitty cat, Right? That's an unequal, that's putting two unequal animals in the yoke. Christ is saying, and our instruction was, in, in this instruction, he says, I, I don't want, I don't want the, the gods or the non-believer to bring the believer outside of the family of God. He says, I want you to study with, I want you to marry believers so that you have a strong relationship, so that you can bring up children in a strong, godly relationship. All of us have experienced difficulty in relationships. And I know here this morning that some have experienced difficulty in, in marriage. Some of our difficulty has come from romantic relationships. And some may have been with friends and with family. But we have all experienced a time when our relationships have gone south. Have just, just rung us ragged. And sometimes we personally might find it difficult to follow the biblical rules of marriage, especially if our spouse is not doing so. There are times that some people will use, they'll use it as an excuse to live outside of the biblical, the, the biblical realms of marriage. They use this as an excuse. Well, he's not. Oh, she's not. So I guess I don't have to, right? Somebody might say, and sometimes we hear this, well, he's not being Christian in our marriage, so that gives me an excuse to go out and act like a non-Christian in my marriage. Like, I'm so frustrated. How come I have to? I don't have to. I'm not going to, because he's not. And that's simply not the case, right? Christ has not given us that option. He's given us one option. That's obedience. That's our option. 
right? He hasn't given us the option to chase our own happiness and comfort. Recently and unfortunately, I hear about this, this couple and this scenario quite often of a Christian couple, and a, a couple that would spend years in church together. And they might come to a difficult time in their marriage. And this one couple, and I won't, I can't go into a lot of details, but she just felt like she'd had enough. And over the course of a few months, she stops talking to her husband. And the communication breaks down, and she starts talking now, not to him, but about him. And that's when the girlfriends get involved. You know what happens when the girlfriends get involved, talking about the husband? What happens is we start to hear things from society. They start to tell us things like, You deserve to be happy. Right? You don't deserve to be treated like this. You deserve better than that. And what happens when we have people putting that in our ear? Right? We start to think like, it's okay. It's perfectly fine. When you have society that is going to tell you that it's okay. See, but when we find an excuse to start managing our relationships in a non-biblical manner, then we start living further away from God. This world's going to give you that excuse. They will absolutely give you that excuse. I'll tell you that divorce is not fun. It's heartache. It's difficult. It's sad. It's hurtful because it's something that was not supposed to happen. Our bodies physically experience pain. You know what pain is? Scientifically, pain is your body telling you something, that something is wrong, right? If your arm is hurting, if there's a constant pain here, it's your body saying that there is something wrong. When your heart is experiencing pain, it's the same thing. It's telling you there is something wrong. But what do we do when our body is experiencing physical pain? When there's something wrong, we go to somebody who knows, right? We go and see a doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, when our hearts are feeling pain, we need to go to the great physician, amen? The way we fix our relationships when something is wrong is, is not to go to the world and ask for wisdom, is not to go to the world and say, what should I do? And listen to the world tell you it's okay to pursue your own happiness. We need to come back to our spiritual doctor, to the one who created the rules for marriage, for the one that wrote the book on relationships. It's a... St- It's for us to start taking our daily dose of relationship vitamins and and to get out and start spending time in spiritual relationship exercise. 
and to make sure that what we're eating, right, what we're putting into our bodies is what, is going, what it's going to take to grow our relationships, to grow this relationship that God created. It's what are we putting into our relationships that's going to make our relationships healthy? What do they say about what we eat? They say garbage in, garbage out. Same thing for our relationships, amen? Garbage in, garbage out, right? You put God in and watch God come out of your relationship. Let, let's watch God grow this relationship. Are we putting worldly nutrition into our relationships that exclusively focuses on our happiness and comfort and you first and us first? Or are we putting godly nutrition into our relationship that focuses on obedience and selflessness and unconditional love? Unfortunately, too many marriages walk up to the altar with conditional love. This love is conditional if you don't cheat on me. This love is conditional if you don't. So many people walk to the altar, but they walk up and they say, I'm only going to give this much. If you cross this line, I'm done. What if God did that to us? Jesus never came to us in relationship and said, Pastor Chris, you know what? I'm going to be your Savior until you cross this line and I'm done. I am so thankful that He never gave me a line. That He never said, if you cross this line, I'm done. What He said is, if you cross this line, I am still here to forgive you. That's what He said. We are to take our promises seriously. See, the rules that God has given us in the Bible for our relationship, you know that He gave them to us on purpose. The world doesn't give us rules on purpose. It gives us rules based on selfishness, happiness, and comfort. God gives us rules based on protection and His love for us. I want you to come back with me. Finally, we're in chapter 5 of Matthew. Matthew 5, we're back in verse number 33. Jesus says this, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Do not say, by earth. Because earth is his footstool. Do not say even, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just simply say, yes I will, or no I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. The half-brother of Jesus, a man by the name of James, echoes this in James chapter 5, verse number 12. It reads, it reads like this. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or by anything else. Jim, simply just say yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. You know what they're saying? They're saying your word matters. Saying if you say yes, let it be yes. If you say no, let it be no. 
It happened all the time in the ancient world. What would happen is that people would take a vow and a promise to God. And they say, they'll say like, oh, I, I, I swear by heaven above. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh. Don't swear by heaven above because heaven above is much more valuable than your vow. I know what your vow is. I've, I've seen how you keep promises. Don't put God into this. He's saying, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. He's saying that, he's really saying this. I want you to think long and hard about the vows that you make. Watch this. This is the final point in your notes this morning. Point number three, our vows are a promise, and a promise is designed to be kept. I know that's point blank, and it's kind of in our face, and we think, well, I learned that in second grade. Keep our promises. We did learn it in second grade, didn't we? Isn't that something we learned as a kid? A promise is meant to be kept, right? If you can't keep it, it's not a promise. If we can't walk up to the minister in front of friends and family in a tuxedo and a white dress, if we can't keep it, it's not a promise. We all have heard stories of somebody who promised God something in their most desperate moments in their life. It's the illustration of somebody hanging off a cliff, hanging on by, by a rope, and, and, there, and there's thousands of feet below, and, 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 and there's really nobody up above. There, there's no hope, and they cry out, God, if you can just save me, I am going to give my entire life over to you. I will be in church every Sunday morning if you can just bring me rescue. And when God brings rescue and, 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 and pulls this person up and puts them on dry and safe land, and then this same person the next Sunday is not where they promised they'd be. We make that promise in our desperate moments and then we shamefully turn our back on the vow that we just made to God. It's an extreme example, but we have all seen that example. We've all heard of that example. We forget often that even marriage is a relationship This might be a shocker. A marriage is not a relationship between two people. A marriage is a relationship between three people. If you think about the fact that we walk in front of a minister and we walk into a house of the Lord and we stand a soon-to-be husband and a soon-to-be wife standing there with Jesus. And we're asking the Lord to bless this marriage. And as a matter of fact, all three people are standing in front of this minister. When these vows are spoken, and some of these marriages start properly. Some start properly because there's no fear of separation. Because they go into a marriage knowing that Jesus is here. Knowing that this marriage was not built to be separated, that, that there is a third party, that Christ is absolutely involved. It's not just a few neat Bible words that a minister reads so that we can go out and have a great meal and then go on a honeymoon and, 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 and go out for, for life the next day. See, Jesus is absolutely the one member in this marriage who is never going to leave. Jesus is not going to leave this marriage. 
He never comes into a marriage planning for a separation. He never walks into a wedding ceremony. If you invite him to a marriage ceremony, he's going to be there. He's going to be up front. It's going to be you, and it's going to be your spouse, and it's going to be a minister and Jesus. And Jesus never comes with a prenuptial agreement. He never walks in prepared for separation because he knows there is no preparation in marriage for separation. And we've got marriages that start out at a courthouse preparing documents in our culture that it seems common to prepare for separation before we've even come together in Christ. I know that our message this morning is difficult because in our culture... Divorce is prevalent. They say almost 50% of marriages end in divorce, and that number seems to be getting higher and higher. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's not lower inside the church. We Sometimes we hear messages like this, like I've spoken this morning, and we think, okay, well, I'm out. That's it. I'm done. I've been through a divorce. Maybe I've been through a few Maybe I'm in marriage number four or five or you think, well, I'm out. I'm, what, do, what do I do? There's nothing I can do. And if you find yourself in that situation this morning, and if this morning somewhere there's this little guilt inside, I want to talk to you specifically for a moment. And I want you to know that you are covered by the grace of of God. I want you to know that we can bring our past marital dysfunction to Jesus and be forgiven. And I want you to know that we are children of a Redeemer who is here to redeem. Amen? There is not a sin and there is not an action in this world that you could take part in that is so big and disastrous and dangerous that the blood of Christ cannot cover. Our job, however, as Christians is to learn from our spiritual mistakes and to rectify our lifestyle and to get it back into a godly direction and then continue to separate ourselves from our past lifestyle. And if our past lifestyle is one of destroying relationships or focusing on self or focusing on happiness and comfort first and walking away from relationships that God is absolutely in, that we could be cleansed of that and today we can start rectifying that by getting ourselves back in line with God's direction for our relationships. Sometimes it's simply coming back to God and it's coming back to that daily biblical intake of His Word and His work in our lives on our relationships. As I've been preparing this message this morning for about four to five weeks now, I've known that this day was coming and that it was going to be somewhat of a difficult message for me to present absolutely biblical and absolutely godly, but this would be 
This morning would be the first time that some of you will hear this revelation from me. Some of you who have been here for a while know this. And I bring this to you in total transparency because I want you to know that if you're, if you're somebody who has been through this, that you're not alone. Because I've been through this myself. Many of you know that I will, that I'll hold counseling relationships, and in counseling relationships that I am very strict on managing godly marriages. And some of that strictness comes from the fact that at one point I didn't. Some of you know that Kelly and I last weekend went out and we celebrated our 12th year anniversary. And... It's 12 years, and it's 12 years because God's been in this relationship. But there was a time, and I I preach on this subject of divorce differently than some other pastors because it is that, that hard conversation for me to have from the pulpit to let people know and to be transparent that I've been there myself, that I'm a pastor that had a marriage in my early 20s that did not work out the way that God intended it to work out. It was about a five-year relationship. But I know now that God, our God, our Lord, is a forgiving God. And our Lord is a God that does not, He doesn't leave marriage. We can leave, and we're not supposed to leave. And I'll tell you that I have, I have learned, and I have learned absolutely the hard way. But I have seen the joys that come in marriage when it's done properly. And when we walk to the altar with our spouse and our Savior, and we keep both of them close through our re- entire lives, it is that important. There was a time when I wasn't practicing my faith. And it doesn't give any excuses for the actions in my marriage in my 20s. And I take full responsibility for the divorce that I went through. My lesson this morning is this, is that there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness when there's repentance. Many times I've come to the Lord and I've asked for forgiveness and repented of of my sins in destroying that relationship because I didn't treat that relationship the way that I should have. I am in full understanding now of where my sin lives, but I'm also in full understanding of where my Redeemer lives. I serve a God, a very forgiving God, who continues to direct and instruct. I know my job as a Christian and as a husband and as a pastor is to continue to learn and continue to follow and continue to put my obedience over my happiness and comfort. Let's pray.